Today on Locked on Mariners, or tonight on Locked on Mariners, really, the host produces an evening show after a late-night bout with food poisoning. Welcome to Locked on Mariners, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. I'm not entirely sure whether or not it was actually food poisoning, but something I ate yesterday just did not agree with me at all, and I was up most of the night, unfortunately. I thought for a while here that I was going to have to have Clive Braithwaite the fourth host the show today, uh, but whatever happened, it's out of my system now. I took a nap feeling okay. And there are actually a couple pieces of Mariners news to discuss today on Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please remember to download and follow this program using whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any program here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Actually, gang, it's not necessarily a bad thing that today's episode is as late as it is. There was some news that broke this afternoon about 1.30, and usually at 1.30 in the afternoon, the show's already done, or I'm just putting the finishing touches on it uh, in post-production before I publish it. And that news involves Hector Santiago, which we've been kind of documenting, as it were, on the show over the previous few weeks. And this morning, it was announced uh, that there was some Jared Kelnick news. We'll talk about both of those bits here in A Block. In B Block, we'll do the midseason report card, which I alluded to earlier in the week that I didn't get to on, I think, Monday's show. Yeah, Monday's show. Could have been Tuesday. I don't remember. And in C Block, it would kind of be an extension of the trivia corner. But first, Mr. Santiago. It was announced today that the appeal of his 10-game suspension has been denied by Major League Baseball. He will begin uh, serving this uh, suspension tomorrow when the Mariners begin a three-game series in Anaheim to face the Angels. He will be eligible to return on July 27th, exactly one month after he was ejected from that game in Chicago when the umpires found rosin on the inside of the wristband of his glove. I'm not surprised by this news, but I'm still disappointed. I just don't think he was trying to cheat. But at the same time, Major League Baseball was just waiting for someone to get caught, and they didn't care what the circumstances were. They were going to make an example out of that first person that they got. The article that I read, written by uh, Daniel Kramer on MLB.com, Uh, In that article, Major League Baseball did not say what they found in his glove, and his glove was at the appellate hearing. That makes me very suspicious. I said last time I talked about this on the show that while this is not a court of law, the principle of innocent until proven guilty should still apply. And I don't think Major League Baseball proved guilt. Was he using illegal equipment? Yeah, he was. Should he have been ejected from the game? Absolutely. Was he using this illegal equipment to gain an edge? No, or at least I do not think so. And I don't think Major League Baseball proved that one way or the other. I am convinced that they are simply trying to make an example out of Mr. Santiago as a message to the rest of the league that they're not playing around. 
Remember, the sticky stuff, which the Mariners claim was rosin, was on the inside of the wristband of his glove. If you're going to try to hide something, that's a pretty terrible place, since it would be obvious when you're going to that area to try to load up. Anything else that I would say from here on out would just be repeating myself from the last two times I covered this story, so I'm not going to bother going any further. But if you did not hear those other two episodes in which I covered this story, go back and listen to them. I'm pretty sure they've both got Hector Santiago's name in the episode title, so they shouldn't be too hard to find. Just to wrap up, though, the Mariners are not allowed to replace him on the active roster. That's a rule that I actually like. Why should you have ever been allowed to replace a suspended player? I don't know. Anyways, Mr. Santiago not being available not only puts a hole in the bullpen, it puts a hole in the starting rotation. He was the best candidate to use as a spot starter in uh, Justice Sheffield's stead while he's on the injured list, and that turn on the rotation uh, is going to be up next Tuesday in Colorado. Robert Ducker has been used um, as a spot starter in these bullpen games, but he's in Tacoma. Eric Swanson has spot started a couple of these bullpen games, but he's just coming off the disabled list, and he also hasn't provided the length that Mr. Duggar or Mr. Santiago have in their spot starts. So we'll see what they do. I'm not exactly sure what is going to be the case at this time, but I'm guessing it's probably going to be Mr. Duggar or Mr. Swanson. Moving on to the other news item that came out today in this packed A block, the Mariners are going to recall Jared Kelnick prior to tomorrow night's game in Anaheim, and he will be in the starting lineup as the center fielder. They have not announced uh, what the corresponding roster move will be, and I'm not exactly sure if they know what the corresponding roster move will be. They have 24 hours to figure that out, figure that out or so. He will see the majority of the playing time in center field while Kyle Lewis is still on the shelf. Mr. Lewis might return in August from knee surgery, and when he does, they'll have to open up a 40-man roster spot. That's a conversation we can have at another time, though, after being sent uh, back to Tacoma following an unimpressive first few weeks in the major leagues, Kelnick raked again. Also, he has reportedly took some of the pressure off of himself, and that can be a big help. Remember the beginning of last season? Jose Marmalejos was very impressive. I love saying that name. Was very impressive in both spring camp and summer camp as a non-roster invitee. He made the big league roster, but then struggled mightily. He was sent out and uh, stopped putting so much pressure on himself, and he came back up and hit something like 421. A better mindset can make a big difference. And I'm not saying Mr. Kelnick is going to hit 421 right out of the chute, but I'm very hopeful that he will do better now that he's just going to go out there and play ball rather than putting so much pressure on himself. I'm excited to see what he can do, and I would not be the least bit surprised if uh, the rest of the way out he hit in the you know, 270s, 280s, maybe even better. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch now that those words come out of my mouth, but we'll see what happens, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Time for the trivia corner, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very significant date in Seattle Mariners history, and I will begin to explain why that is after this word from Fully Loaded. 
Today's episode is brought to you in part by Fully Loaded Chew. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that give you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Available in nine, that's nine, flavors, Fully Loaded Chew is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine available. It's the only moist nicotine pouch on the market. All of the nicotine pouches are dry white pouches, my goodness, nothing dips, spits, and packs like Fully Loaded. Fully Loaded Chew is offering Locked On Team listeners a special offer right now. You can try a can for just $1. That's right, just $1 followed by three exclamation points. Go to FullyLoadedChew.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. Just $1 in free shipping if you use code LOCKEDON at checkout. Next time you go for a dip, make it Fully Loaded Chew. FullyLoadedChew.com on this date in 1999, that is July 15th, 1999, the Mariners played their first ever game at Safeco Field, a very significant and important date in Seattle Mariners history, and we're going to kind of relive that game today in C-Block. Coming up, I assign arbitrary letter grades to the members of the Seattle Mariners to make it seem like I know what the hell I'm talking about. But first, this word of interest from Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, which I just indicated. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your very own pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or dealership. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right at this exact moment to see all the parts available for your car, truck, van, SUV, or crossover. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, DC Lunder. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. Today in B Block, we're going to go position by position and assign a letter grade to each one of those positions as kind of a mid-season report card. We're going to go fairly quickly, or at least try to, so we can get them all in here in this segment. And it's another one of those segments where I don't really have an outline or any notes or anything like that. I do have statistics in front of me, but uh, this is pretty much all off the top of my head. Let's start uh, behind the plate, and as far as the catching goes, uh, for the most part, it's been Tom Murphy and Luis Torrens. In the early part of the season, neither of them were hitting, and Torrens' defense has been terrible all season. Torrens is now hitting, but he's mostly a DH. And they also have Cal Raleigh up there, who's only played one game, so I can't pass judgment on how he has done at the Major League level because it's only four plate appearances. Jose Godoy also was up for a time, and his defense was pretty good and initially hit okay, but not with much sting. And um, I think he was sent out after hitting. Well, he was hitting, let's see, he was hitting uh, 162 at the time. So in terms of the catching, when you're cons- catching is a defensive position, and Tom Murphy's defense has been very, very good. So overall, you know, considering that 
Terenz and Murphy, neither of them were hitting most of the season. Murphy is still not. And Terenz's defense has been awful. It's been mostly those two. I don't know if I can give him anything more than a C minus, really. We'll just move right on over to first base, and in the first part of the season, it was Jose Marmalejos and Evan White, neither of whom hit very well, although Evan White's defense continued to be outstanding. Evan White might not play the rest of the season. Jerry Depoto indicated over the weekend, or just prior to the midseason break, that his uh, injury is much worse than originally thought. He was only slashing 144, 202, 237 at the time. And in recent days, it has been mostly Ty Freds playing first base, who is swinging the bat pretty well. And also Jake Bowers has filled in there occasionally, and he's swung the bat pretty well since coming to the Seattle Mariners. Overall for the season... First base is kind of more of an offensive position than a defensive position, even though de- even though Evan White's defense is outstanding. Let's give them, but they've been better in recent days. I'll give them a C. I'll give him a C. Second base is where they've had some problems. Dylan Moore has uh, seen most of the action at second base, and while his defense is good, not great, but good, he's only hitting 176, on base at 268, which is high relative to that batting average, and a slugging average of uh, 348. Shedlong Jr.'s uh, spent some time at, at second base since coming off of the injured list, and he's uh, hitting below 200 as well. And defensively, he's okay. He's okay. He's not great, but uh, he can get the job done. Donovan Walton is filled in there, and his defense is very good. He's not much of a uh, his, his bat is not very potent, though. Earlier in the season, Ty France was seeing a lot of playing time at second base, and that was during the portion of the season where he wasn't swinging the bat following his uh, hit by pitch, and his defense at second base was bordering on terrible. So second base cannot get a very good grade. Best I can give him probably is a D plus. We'll move over to third base, and Kyle Seager has played just about every single game at third base. Offensively, I think he's done. He's only hitting 213 for the season on base of 280. He's slugging 411. He has driven in 50 runs, however, which is second on the team. He hits okay with runners in scoring position. Earlier this season, he was just on fire with runners in scoring position. But his defense is not what it once was either. And he's and I think after a month or so, he had already made more errors than he did all of last season. Third base is another position I cannot give a high grade to. It's pretty much been exclusively Kyle Seeger, and unfortunately I have to give him a D for the season. Shortstop, and this is where things are going to start to improve dramatically, as J.P. Crawford has improved dramatically. He is slashing 279, 341, 391. He has five home runs and 22 doubles. He leads the team in doubles, ladies and gentlemen. And he has 31 RBI, mostly out of the leadoff spot. That is pretty impressive. And his defense has improved. He's always had the range. And last year, his hands improved to the point where they were an asset. And this season, I don't see him throwing as many balls away as he tended to last season. He's suffering from fewer concentration lapses out there at shortstop. And he's now defensively an asset. I mean, I know he won a gold glove last year. I just don't know if there was a lot of competition. I still felt like he threw too many balls away, even though his hands have, even though his hands had improved. Again, he's always had the range and he's even better this year. Shortstop can't be anything less than an A. He has knocked it out of the park figuratively most of the season. He got off to a slow start. 
but then he simplified his swing, and he even said that over the past couple of seasons, he was going out there and trying to be a 20 home run hitter, trying to be someone who he wasn't, and he's now staying within himself, and that's probably why the results have been there. I will temper that with this, however. Remember in 2019, he was hitting, I believe, 278 at the break that year and fell off a cliff in the second half of the season. The Mariners were after him to improve his stamina, put on some muscle so he could last a full season. We still don't know if he can do that. If he can, then the Mariners really have something here. I don't know if he can or not. I'm really hopeful that he can. I'm going to lump left field, center field, and right field into one because not only have there been a lot of comings and goings in the outfield, but the three spots, left, center, and right, um, they're kind of rotated. Mitch Hanniger has is is the right fielder, but although he rotates into DH sometimes. Uh, Ace Fraley has seen time at all three positions. I believe Taylor Trammell has as well. Sam Haggerty's been out there and, and at least uh, left and center field. Dylan Moore's played all three spots. Shedlong Jr.'s been out there in left field. And let's not forget Braden Bishop, who's no longer in the organization. Dylan Thomas has been out there. Even Donovan Walton's played some left field. And of course, uh, Jared Kelnick was up uh, for a few games in uh, beginning in, the, in, the, in mid-May. Jake Bowers has played the outfield. There have been so many comings and goings that you can't differentiate between the three positions. Mitch Hanniger might be the best of the bunch. He is uh, slashing 257, 311, 487, and he leads the team with 20 home runs and 52 runs batted in. Ace Fraley has also put together a pretty good season. He's more or less the new Lance Blankenship. As I mentioned uh, previously on the show, only with more power. He has seven home runs and 23 runs driven in in 40 games. He is slashing 239, 409, 439. He has an OPS of 848 to go along with that 237 batting average. His numbers are kind of funny to me just because they're you don't see those type of numbers every day. But one thing that Ace has and also Taylor Trammell and Kyle Lewis, they're very good defensive outfielders. Sam Haggerty can hold his own out there, as can Dylan Moore, and of course Mitch Hanniger, the anchor in right field, as it were. He's got a very good arm out there. But a lot of them are plus defenders as well, which helps their cause. Collectively as a group, it's certainly better than the infield. Uh, that is for sure. I'll give him a B-. minus. Uh, Maniger and Ace Fraley are really the only two who have put together pretty good offensive seasons. If you can consider 238 a good offensive season. His game, though, is on base and a little bit of extra base punch, so I'm not really worried about that. I would like to see Manninger's batting average go up and his strikeouts go down. I don't know if that's going to happen. But collectively, the outfield, again, will get a B-. I'm not going to give a grade to the designated hitter because uh, everybody is seemingly DH'd. It's a position that Scott Service likes to use to give players a partial day off, especially the outfielders. Ty France has seen some action at DH. Uh, Tom Murphy and uh, Luis Torrens have kind of taken turns DHing as well. Torrens has seen a lot of action at DH recently, so it, it would be just grading th- basically the entire roster if I was going to say something about designated hitter. Now we'll move over to the pitching staff, and I'll give a grade to the bullpen and to the starting rotation. And talk about hit or miss, that's the starting rotation. Yusei Kikichi and Chris Flexen have both had outstanding seasons. If not for that one poor start in San Diego, and I talked about this I think a couple days ago, 
Chris Flexen would be among the league leaders in earned run average. Just as Sheffield had a miserable season, Marco Gonzalez has not had a good season either. Even though Justin Dunn's ERA is low, I have not been impressed with him because of the high number of walks and all the counts he's gotten into, all the full counts, all the 2-2 counts. He's had to throw a lot of pitches and he doesn't provide a lot of length in ball games for that reason. Logan Gilbert has started 10 games, so we can kind of fairly assess what he has done so far. He's pitched 48 and two-thirds innings, has a 3-5-1 earned run average, which is actually the exact same as Chris Flexen's, and his whip is below one, which leads the starting rotation. He also leads the starting rotation in strikeouts per nine innings with 9.8, Ratio-wise, he's given up the second-fewest home runs at 0.9 per nine innings. Chris Flexen's given up 0.8. Starting rotation, again, hit or miss. And because of the misses, I can't give a real high grade. Uh, I'll, give him a, I'll give the starting rotation collectively a... I'll give him a B. I was thinking about a B-, minus, but I don't think that Sheffield and Gonzalez have been bad to the point to really take away from something a grade I could give to Kikachi-san, Mr. Flexen, or Mr. Gilbert, and uh, Justin Dunn. We'll see what he does when he comes back. The bullpen, I'm also going to give a B. It's, it's been hit or miss as well. And the misses have been big misses, and uh, the hits have been big hits. Drew Steckenrider almost came out of nowhere. I know he's a Major League veteran, but I think he was a non-roster guy if memory serves, and he's had a very good season, kind of solidifying himself in his setup role, and Kendall Graven's taken the closer's job and run with it. Paul Sewald also came out of nowhere and is putting together a fantastic season. JT Chagua, the avocado, also putting together a nice season after being a, um, a minor league free agent, non-roster invitee. Hector Santiago has put together a nice season out of the bullpen. Keenan Middleton's been hit or miss. Eric Swanson's also come out of nowhere and put together a very good season. But then you get to people like uh, Rafael Montero, who just dragged the whole bullpen down almost single-handedly. Will Vest has also really struggled as of late as well. But just going over the names, there actually might have been more hits than misses. So I will change that B to a B+. The pitching is has been better for the Mariners this season uh, than the offense has been. The defense also has been... It's been good. It hasn't been great, but it's been good. They've been turning a lot of double plays, which have been helping out their pitching staff. So that obviously is a plus as well. That ran way longer than I thought it was going to, which is fine because I don't think the next segment was going to be real long to begin with. But before we get to that, if you have a question or a comment for the show, please send it in to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. Questions and comments on any subject are highly encouraged. Probably going to be doing another email um, episode on Tuesday. I was going to do one this week, but these seem to work better when John Miller is available to do the show with me. And he's out of town, so he wasn't available uh, to record. So probably on Tuesday. The Mariners don't have a game on Monday. So on Tuesday's show, there's going to be no game to recap. I'm rambling. Coming up, we relive the first ever game in Safeco Field history. But first, this word from Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. It's been in full swing for a long time now, gang. The midseason break is almost over. They really need to change that script. In any case, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Actually, the NHL season's over, isn't it? Maybe I should stop saying that. They need to change the script there as well. Anyways, before the next pitch, head on over to Bet 
online on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news. Sign up bonuses and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on, all one word. Now back to Locked On Mariners. Here once again is your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you again, J.M. We don't have a whole lot of time for this final segment today on Locked On Mariners, but that's okay. Today is the anniversary of the first ever Major League Baseball game at Safeco Field, occurring on this date, July 15th, 1999. Prior to the game, the Seattle Symphony Orchestra held a kind of mini-concert with a a ceremonial opening of the roof. Also prior to the game, there was a mystery ceremonial first pitch pitcher. No one knew who it was. And in fact, the person who threw the first pitch didn't know until it was being announced uh, by Tom Hutler on the public address system. I think it was either Harold Reynolds or Alvin Davis who handed Dave Niehaus a baseball and just said to him, you're it and told him to go out to the mound with a baseball. And it was at that time that Mr. Niehaus learned that he was going to be the one to throw the ceremonial first pitch in Safeco Field history. And I cannot think of somebody... I cannot think of a better choice to throw that first pitch. As far as the game went, Kilvio Varis of the San Diego Padres was the first batter to step into the uh, box at Safeco Field, and he was opposed by Jamie Moyer, and the first pitch was a called strike. Mr. Varis grounded out to Moyer on the very next pitch, and then the uh, Padres' number two hitter, Eric Owens, hit a single for the very first hit in Safeco Field history. In the bottom of the first, Mariners leadoff hitter David Bell collected the first hit by a Mariner in Safeco Field history, hitting a double off Andy Ashby with a full count. The first run in Safeco Field history was scored in the bo- in, pardon me, the top of the third inning. Kilvio Veras led off with a single, was sacrifice bunted along to second base by Eric Owens. Reggie Sanders struck out. And then Phil Nevin hit a single, which scored Varis from second base for Safeco Field's first run. The first Mariners runs were scored in the bottom of the eighth. With two outs, Dan Wilson doubled to right field, and was immediately driven in by David Bell on a double of his own. That was off starting pitcher Andy Ashby, and he was then replaced by Heath Murray, who allowed a double to David Segui to score Bell. That meant that the Mariners had a 2-1 lead going into the top of the ninth inning and out from the bullpen to try to preserve this historic win Jose Mesa and Jose Mesa being Jose Mesa walked the leadoff hitter Ruben Rivera who then stole second base it did not matter because he also walked pinch hitter John Vanderwall and then walked pinch hitter Ed Giovanola to load the bases 
Pinch hitter Dave Magadan was next, and he struck out. Mr. Magadan was known as a contact-hitting machine, but he was at the end of his career and couldn't get the job done here. Kilvio Veras was up again with the bases loaded and only one out, and Mesa put him on base via the base on balls, driving in Rivera with the tying run to a chorus of boos. Lou Pinella had seen enough, and he went back to the bullpen to get Paul Abbott to face Eric Owens, who would hit a sacrifice fly to score Vanderwall. Reggie Sanders grounded out to end the inning, but not before the Padres had scored two runs to take the lead. And ordinarily in this era, you'd see Trevor Hoffman trotting out of that bullpen to try to save the game. But he didn't warm up in time, so Dan Maselli came out of the Padres' bullpen to try to lock up the uh, historic first game in Safeco Field history, and he had to get through Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner, and Butch Husky. He fanned Edgar and got both Buhner and Husky to ground out, so he earns the save in Safeco Field's first ever game, a 3-2 win for the San Diego Padres. Winning pitcher is Will Kanane, losing pitcher Jose Mesa. Mariners would lose the next day as well with a 2-1 score. Former Mariners Sterling Hitchcock pitching up, picking up the win, pardon me, for the Padres. Trevor Hoffman earning the save in that one. Incidentally, that was the Mariners' seventh loss in a row, but that losing streak would be stopped the next day when the Mariners beat the Padres 9-1 in Safeco Field's third game. Freddie Garcia picked up the victory in that one, and Mariners' third baseman Russ Davis hit the first home run in Safeco Field is history, pardon me, a fifth-inning blast off the Padres' Woody Williams. Tomorrow, Taylor Blake Ward will join me to talk a little Angels baseball ahead of the Mariners' three-game series in Anaheim, which begins tomorrow night. In addition, I will have an announcement on some changes that will be coming to this program here in a couple of weeks. Also joining me tomorrow will be Emily Hartley, Sergeant Floyd Pepper, and a weed whacker. Please remember to download and follow Locked On Mariners. Look for us on any podcasting app you can happen to think of. Leave a rating and review if your podcasting app of choice so allows. And remember to check out the other great programs here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm DC Lundberg. Again, sorry that this episode is as late as it is, but at least there's at least it's not going to be published during a Mariners game, which I've actually had to do before. In any case, I'll talk to you tomorrow, gang, and I really hope that it's... Uh, published on time but i'm feeling okay now so i think it will be and i'm also rambling which i apologize for so i'm just gonna shut up get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the locked on today podcast host peter bukowski will keep you updated on the latest news in every major sport with locked on's team of local experts follow the locked on today podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts this is joey martin speaking for locked on mariners part of the locked on podcast network